First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in the I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. And three, two. Hey everyone, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. I'm here with my wonderful co-hosts, uh, Andy Palmer, Steve Jeffries, and I'm Yogi Paul. Well, we are not joined by Sean McCarthy today because he we spent we sent him to a speech therapist mm-hmm. in New Jersey. That's right. Who uh, hooked up electrodes to him, and then every time he says, essentially, <laughs> he'll get a, a a little zap. Not not yeah. enough to hurt him permanently, mm-hmm. uh, but enough to you know, because enough that he feels it for a while. Well, that's what it's in the brochure, but we let them know, like, turn up the voltage on this. We yeah. really, you know, yeah. or mis- misspelling mm-hmm. or mispronouncing names and places. Names and yeah. Right. Well, just, we, we sent over a list of foreign names for him to read. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly consonants that I threw together. <laughs> no, nah, they're Nordic names. No, nah, trust me. Uh, some of these are Egyptian. There's no vowels. <laughs> I'm like, yep, dealer's choice. That's right. Yeah. Listen, you need to learn how to say the names all around the world. We have international listeners, and we need an international palate, Sean. So figure it out. Uh, alas, uh, we are recording today, August 19th, about Naval Ravikant. Yes, we're doing an Indian episode today, ladies and gentlemen. But before we uh, start with the episode, there's some more Epstein news. Uh, Stephen, you want, you want to tell us what's going on here? Well, actually, okay, the, the New York Post put out an article that was like kind of calling into question the those images of Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone just kind of chanced upon her at in and out. Oh, yeah, there was the in and out thing. And then the, the Daily Mail ran this article that was like, well, this ad for good boys in the back, clearly a Photoshop, even though it's the, a, a regular bus station right, ad right. for the movie Good Boys. I mean, the fact that there's an ad for a movie called The Good Boys behind Ghislaine Maxwell during this whole debacle, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, it is... It, yeah, there's that, one of one movie that has boys and children in the entirety of it, and it's The Good Boys, and that's the one that's behind her in this photo? What if Good Boys... I mean, it, it's pretty obvious that it's going to come out and be a huge piece of shit, and <laughs> I think there's about a 50% chance that maybe six months after it comes out, mm-hmm. it it's reported that it was actually put into production solely as a child molestation <laughs> vehicle. I mean, there's no mo- reason to make a movie these days except for that. So I don't yeah. see why that this, wouldn't be the reason. This is another Wolf of Wall Street scenario <laughs> with the dark, dark money to Jolo. But, well, he's sadly not involved in all this. But uh, I think I'd respect the movie more if they did have an Epstein tie-in somehow. If they did have like a, hey, what's in this room? That's Epstein room. And it's just like chains and whips and stuff. And they're like, well, let's move on. <laughs> like like a, a nice nod to what's going on. I'm just imagining the director going on like James Corden and being like, one of the great things about this movie is that all the sex scenes, they're real. <laughs> and everyone's like, those kids are like 12. <laughs> is that your Seth Rogen right there? I think he directed it. Oh, he did? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Ooh. That was... So you're hearing Seth Rogen's laugh during these child sex scenes. 
But yeah, so that photo, they think it could be Photoshop. What was that? Like, I mean, there are other things. Like, uh, there are two, I think there are two drinks. There are two drinks and like two phones on the table is the thing. I don't know. I don't, that, that's one thing. One of the more creepy articles that came out in the post is that Epstein um, got three 12-year-old French girls as a, quote, birthday gift Ooh. from his connection in, in France, who is, uh, um, I believe he is a Victoria's Secret model scout. Oh, he seems on the up and up. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's from the Ghislaine Maxwell, not the Ghislaine Maxwell, the uh, Virginia Roberts documents uh, where apparently Epstein... Uh, just bragged to her about how he had the 12 year old girls flown and how easy it was to get them just by giving their parents money. Ugh. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So sometimes people ask us, why do we think there shouldn't be any billionaires? <laughs> uh, it's uh, just another little case. I mean, there's about a thousand little case studies on Jeffrey Epstein. I, I know this is going to sound um, fucked up, but I know as a morbidly obese individual, when you order three of anything, you're overdoing it, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I like going to this uh, Mexican place called Tecambi, and they make a quesadilla and a uh, avocado tostada, which is just like a uh, round uh, tortilla chip with avocados and like some uh, onions on it. And I like taking the tostada and putting it in the quesadilla and folding it up because it's like a New York fancy uh, cheesy gordita crunch, if you, if you know what I'm talking about, my Taco Bell fans. <laughs> but I once ordered three of them, and by the end of it, I was like, this is too much. But... Three 12-year-old French girls. What? What? That was the most detailed analogy for pedophilia <laughs> I've ever heard. But you know what I'm saying, though? Like, I mean, three just seems excessive, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, it's it's Epstein, so, like, everything is beyond the pale. But it... Oh, I love that Gaffigan album. <laughs> he, um... Another thing that I saw, I... So there's this documentary of the family on Netflix mm-hmm. that I think actually kind of highlighted the mindset of the rich and powerful behind the Epstein thing. Sure. Like I'm, no, I'm after he sees that there are three of them come to his office. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. like, Oh, I am full. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, not today, boys. I, my birthday celebration went a little too long last night. Uh, <laughs> all full up on uh, French year old. Didn't you say that he flew them back after he, he molested them? Yep. Next day flew them back Ugh. to France. Didn't even let them have American delicacies like In and Out. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> he well, okay. So here's the thing: is I was watching this documentary, The Family, and that uh, there was a guy who ended up in one of their kind of youth training houses, mm-hmm. and they it's it's this this group of quasi Christian people who have connections to a bunch of the most powerful politicians in Washington all the way up to Trump uh, and especially Pence. And the, the guy reported that they had this meeting with one of the leaders who was talking to them about King David and how King David uh, of the Bible did all these terrible things. Right. uh, But he was God's number one guy. And so Mm. he's asking the kids like, why did, Sure, uh, right. Why why did he do these things but he was still God's number one guy and the answer was that well he was chosen. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say something that's very revealing which is if I heard that one of you raped several little girls before you came here. What would you say I would think of you? And one of them was like you you would think I'm a terrible person and he goes no. 
because it's not my job to judge you. Oh. You're chosen. Disgusting. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I, know I want to talk about the family more on a different episode, but the that mindset of like, oh, we're chosen. We can do whatever we want. Right, right. That's, I think that's definitely like, you know, the mm-hmm. people are saying Jeffrey Epstein's a tip of the iceberg. This is another tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, I think all religious extremists have that mentality, regardless of what religion they're a part of. We are chosen by our divine, so we are uh, compelled to violate the rights and fucking lives of anyone that opposes our viewpoints, which is just idiotic. I think that um, a lot of times when you see people who are atheists, they're very militantly against God, and I completely understand why they would be, but it's like you're against the religion you were born into more than you are. like screwed me out of so many lottery tickets. Um, but alas, this episode is not on the family or Epstein, unfortunately. We're talking about Naval Ravikant, the avenging angel, as this Dartmouth yes. alumni magazine calls him. <laughs> Avengers, a symbol. Oh, man. You just put together a VC money laundering scheme. You know, in doing research for this episode, like, Naval Ravikant seems like a moderately intelligent person, but just the level of dick sucking on every podcast he does is just so through the roof because he speaks eloquently and says things that are pretty obvious if you've read any books, but because of his status, people are like, this guy, this guy's the fucking messiah dog. This oh, guy. Oh, speaks eloquently and is... And is not Indian. white. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Well, I mean, and it makes now, sense. When you say he does podcasts, uh, does that include... That includes our favorite podcast. Uh, Joe Rogan, everyone, uh, the podcast of our masses, our messiah, the lord, the mecca, LA. Did he, did he get blitzed um, on, on Rogan? No, he didn't smoke weed. <laughs> I don't think he drinks or does uh, marijuana. He used to drink in college and was overweight at that time, but we'll get to that in a moment. Oh. Uh, his story is uh, moderately unusual, but pretty typical for Indian people. He moved to the U.S. from India when he was nine years old. And um, be- when this happens, a lot of times the father of the family moves to the U.S. first to work and so that then they can get visas for the rest of the family. Wait, wait, real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his, what is he a billionaire from? Um, it's kind of tough to say, but he's a billionaire from investing in Twitter, Uber, and a and a, a lot of other companies at, um, when they were in their startup phases. Uh, so he was like a, um angel investor type. Yes, and he got to that position by one of his companies uh, folding and then him having a lawsuit. But we'll get to all that in a moment. Um, so, you know, he he and his brother, so it's uh, Naval Ravikant and his brother Kamal Ravikant. And Kamal, we'll talk about later, but that dude's a fucking chode. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's such a fucking idiot. Anyway... Is so, he just a lowly millionaire? I think he is just a millionaire, but he <laughs> he has the same job description as uh, Naval. He's like, I'm a venture... Ca- uh, I, I really want you to watch... He invested in Friendster. <laughs> <laughs> he just... His brother, Jeff Navikant. <laughs> he, he tried to get a. He, he tried to get in on the monopoly on taxi medallions while his brother was investing right. in Uber. <laughs> yeah, that that is not too far off. I, I don't know. There's a little information about his brother's investment in history because he's not a billionaire. Right. Uh, j- just for our listeners, Naval's uh, net worth is 2.2 billion. Um, so he moves to New York from India when he's nine years old, and his father abandons the family. Uh, a few years before this, actually. So uh, they get to the U.S., but his dad goes, I'm out. And then it was something that, that happens and is uh, very unfortunate, but a reality of the situation when you're forced to leave your family for more than half a decade and you are working Wait, in a new country. he was forced to leave his family? Well, he, uh, let me rephrase that. 
this is something that has happened in Indian families where a dad moves to another country to make money for the family. And then when the family comes, the person they are is no longer who they were when they left. So they choose to abandon their family. It's not something that is good or that I'm proud of, but uh, it's something that it does happen a lot. And oftentimes if you... It's something that you're not proud of? I mean... Do you, do you have a family that you <laughs> abandon? Several, Indy. I've known you for like 11 All years now. All around the country and the world. I just... I don't, I don't know where I you hit families. the... You got this Marco Rubio <laughs> thing going. <laughs> I had no idea. Well, Yogi, why are your eyes glowing red? Um, <laughs> no, I, I've just noticed it happening. And like, uh, if you... Uh, there's a handful of um, half-white, half-Indian comics, and they have stories where like their dad uh, abandoned their families, and, um, and then they do Indian accents on stage, and white people are like, this guy's great. Um, <laughs> it's very frustrating. Uh, fuck you, Tom Tucker. Anyway... Um, <laughs> Uh, that guy's a hack. If you like him, I, I hate you. Anyway, moving on. Um, so he moves to New York when he's like nine years old. I hope that's not just some open micer. No, he's he's been on Conan. Um, okay. Let's not get too into the details of the people I per- have personal vendettas <laughs> against. Um, so they, his family moves to New York from India, and no article says where in India their family's from, which isn't that weird, but it's kind of odd. You would think that they would post that, you know, because India is not a city. It's a fucking country. Um, and in New York, it's like two cities. Yeah. Just Delhi about. and New Delhi. <laughs> um, so when he, when he's in New York, he, uh, goes to high school at Stuyvesant, which is a magnet school. And from there he goes to Dartmouth. Um, there's not much t- about his time in elementary school. I think he was bullied a little bit to, uh, attest to Stevens. All billionaires are bully, uh, rhetoric, but, um, there's not much. I think that Stuyvesant is where he probably worked the hardest and really kind of bust his butt in becoming a good student. And then he went to college after he was in Stuyvesant High School. He got into a Dartmouth college, which he went because it had a high student satisfaction rating and a attractive financial aid package. He was overweight, sober, and a vegetarian, and he hung out at Phi Tau, the Greek misfit house, he calls. This is from a Dartmouth alumni magazine profile on Naval. And he loved, he loved being at college, uh, but he didn't really care for like leaving the campus until after graduation. So he just stayed there for the whole four years, whereas some people would leave after sophomore year, live off campus and stuff. Oh, so the frats were on campus, essentially. I believe so, yeah. So what's interesting about frats, something I didn't realize until I graduated, mm-hmm. is they end up being a good way to get jobs. This isn't an endorsement of frats. Sure, it's more sure. of a condemnation of how like our economic system works where right. it, it's just if if you're in a frat you're way more likely to be able to get a job right out of college because you got these connections with other people who were in your frat and those right. people who say they've got like a rich dad or something who has a connection to a company every frat's got a rich dad yeah <laughs> there's a lot of frats out there only the elite frats really i think have that useful connection well no, yes I'll, I'll tell you though my first full-time job out of college was um I got it because actually Yogi got me connected to uh, a cool comic, uh, Yola Lou, mm-hmm. and she recommended me for the job and I got in. But what one thing that was interesting is that most of the other people I worked with there got the job because their former frat brothers or sorority sisters had also gotten that job right, right. and also got the, the recommendation to come in. 
Yeah, I mean, they're incestuous systems, the frat system. Like, you know, they're built on, you know me, I know you, how about you, we scratch each other's back. And I think that, you know, college itself is just a larger version of that if you uh, utilize it correctly. I think Stephen's right that not every frat does that, but even every frat has some network that you could climb the ladder in to benefit yourself. Maybe not... Uh, well, yeah, they don't, they don't all get you into elite institutions, but they are right. very useful for a... Uh, job hunt outside of college. Yeah, y'all, were you guys in frats? Oh, no. I knew... Oh, I was. I was yeah, a musician's frat. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. I was in a frat no as well. No actual house, though. Just a... Yeah. Uh, here, yeah. Yeah. I was... Uh, what was the Greek letters for your frat? Phi Mu Alpha. <laughs> I was a uh, Sigma Mu Kappa. Uh, no house, but uh, <laughs> we got drunk from time to time. It was pretty fun. The, like, one of the former members owned a bar near campus, so that was that was oh, pretty great. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Was that St. Martin's? Uh, that was St. Martin's University yeah. in Lacey, Washington, home of the proud. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Naval is in college and he's doing pretty well. He he at first wants to be like uh, I don't know what he wants to do. At first he wants to do. He's in college and he's doing well. He starts doing computer science courses, which wasn't what he wanted to do at first, but he really dives in and starts committing to it. He takes a loan that took him 10 years to pay off to get a MacBook, and then he, he gets a job uh, providing computer support and database management for DAM, which I think is probably a Dartmouth alumni uh, or, uh, service. That's Did you get a MacBook to do coding? I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, this is when he was in college. So this must have been... They're, they're more of like graphic design. I mean, this is a different time. I don't know when this was. This was probably like late 80s. Oh, right. oh okay. Yeah, different time. A Mac Classic is the name of the laptop. So it probably was one of the first Mac laptops. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was probably really expensive. Yeah. It was a $3,000 9-inch black and white screen is what he talks about in this thing. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Now I'm <laughs> definitely against him. Because <laughs> he likes Mac? Because he got, he got, like, the most expensive computer yeah. to do Basic coding, coding stuff. I yeah. Mean, yeah, that's fair. He um, also wanted to watch YouTube. <laughs> YouTube wasn't around at this he point. He also wanted Steven. to watch Elam's uh, World. <laughs> <laughs> He's really big into Kazaa. Um, he was not. Uh, but th at this Doesn't job... Doesn't he know that everything at E-Bomb's World is stolen? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that argument so much. I'm like, yeah, it's it's good stolen content. What are you, <laughs> what are you mad about? I'm 11. <laughs> um, but at this job, it was his first flexible hour job, which was new at the time. He could just do his job and then tell them, I did this, and then he got the money. And that after that, he did a stint at this place called Boston Consulting Group, where, and the only thing that I heard about is he taught staff how to hijack the fax line for dial-up. <laughs> that's the only thing that's written about it. But then after this, he goes to Silicon Valley. Now... What's interesting is him and his brother both go to Silicon Valley around this time, which I believe is going to be like late, late 90s, and they both get jobs at companies, and they, they work for a little while, and they quit, and then they start, uh, uh, this guy, Naval, starts his company, ePinions, which is a product review website, and at the time, it was like the number one product review website. This is going to be your early 2000s, and essentially, from this first venture, I think... Naval and maybe his brother Kamal start meeting all the people that they will utilize for the next 20 years of their careers. It's so shameful that he became a billionaire from a bad pun. <laughs> E-pinions? Yeah. Well, why don't... Because like it's... Oh, it's all, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yes, right. So he starts his website called E-pinions with a couple of other people. But what happens is that him and a few of the other co-founders and the employees 
kind of realize the company's going under, so they might as well like get rid of their shares. I don't know all the details on this. It's very tough to find. But basically, his friend, who uh, will remain nameless because I forgot it right now, uh, was talking with Google about selling the company to them. And eventually, they would sell to Shopping.com, which eventually would also be bought by eBay. So the company at one point sells for like $700 million, but Naval Rubicon doesn't see any of that money. And he talks about how frustrating that is because people are calling him to be like, oh, man. Your, your company is amazing and it's selling for a whole bunch of money. Wait, why didn't you see any of the money? Because I think that the like thought was that like the company they thought was going under, so they all kind of left. But they what happened was the one dude that fucked him over was talking to other companies trying to sell it. So oh. he was he was you know it's the uh, Jay Z Dame Dash move where he's cutting out old partners <laughs> to try and move up the ladder of uh, being your own boss basically. So uh, he talks about the day he realized what had happened where the company selling is it feels like being hit by a truck when you realize the company you founded is going public and you aren't making any money people are calling to congratulate you on the ipo and you've got nothing he has several hundred thousand dollars at this point um so because of this he sues the other he and two other co-founders along with 39 former employees filed the lawsuit against the dude that fucked them over right Mm -hmm. and this creates a nickname for Naval Roy Khan, which is uh, Radioactive Mud. <laughs> what? The Silicon Valley uh, bigwigs. Dis- How racist is it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's crazy? It is, it's pretty racist. I'm pretty okay. sure that... <laughs> like, uh, I couldn't tell if there was crazy. like a meaning to mud beyond I mean, pure racism. I didn't think about it because I was like, I mean, I get it. This dude leaves, kind of, you know, gets out of a company and then they sells and then like, you know, he sues the company and then the, the lawsuit is uh, settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. But this is where he gets his first nut. Um, his first, uh, I think, I think he has like, I think tw- maybe five to like six million dollars around this time, mm-hmm. I believe is what he made from the lawsuit. But that's... Mine was when I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> so... Once this Epinion's lawsuit goes down, he kind of is looked at as like a pariah in the Silicon Valley area. And because of this, he realizes how difficult it was to navigate the whole uh, venture capital fucking trying to get funding for a startup period of his life. Mm -hmm. So he starts a blog, but this is a few years later. In that time between him starting that blog with BV... With... this guy's name i will say you know if sean was doing this episode he'd have so much trouble with these stupid names because every guy sounds like a fucking pokemon character that's racist yogi is it i'm brown can't i say these things uh castist not cast there you go yeah cast yes that's why i want to know where they were from (laughs) oh yeah casts are like regional aren't they well it depends on how you define cast but kind of they can be i got a friend who i just found out was in the Sikh cast well, that's not a caste. That's more of a religion. Uh, oh, okay. What, no, what, no. It was like a warrior caste. That what, was caste what caste is our boy? Me? Oh, well, this guy? We don't know. That's that's one of the things that's interesting. The reason I um, am intrigued by his Indian status is because he does talk about growing up, he would go back to India and have nothing to do, so he would read all day in his like, grandfather's living room. Now, you know, he also talks about his mom working two jobs to support him and his brother, 
But I don't know where he's. They're getting the money to fly back to India if that's also the case. So it's mm. a, there's a, it's a little up in the air how much money their family had. I'm pretty sure that they had they had to work tirelessly. I'm sure that a single mother had to work hard. But to also be able to afford to go back to India, there must have been some money somewhere else. And the fact that he, him, and his brother just get jobs immediately after going to Silicon Valley. It's it's just odd. There there are some connections. I, that's Ivy. That's that's Ivy. Yeah, Frat. that's true. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Um, Ivy frats certainly do scratch each other's dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so after he he, he this debacle, he invests in Twitter, Uber, and a handful of other companies. The number that he's invested in at this point is like a hundred and fifty different startups since the mid two thousands and. Because of this, he's that's how he's built his net worth. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, there was a profile on him, and it talked about every Uber ride that happens, he gets one set from roughly. So basically, right after the dot-com bust, yeah. he bought the dip, yes, so to speak. Well, and I think that because of his time in Silicon Valley, in working for a startup, and then this whole debacle with the lawsuit, like he knows who's big. He knows who's mm. got you know the next level funding almost happening to them, and right. and I think that his entire attitude now in how in uh, what he's done with his new company Angel List among a couple other things is literally I want to make it easier for everyone else while also making money off of them. Mm-hmm. So it's like his entire appeal now is supposed to be altruistically like. Hey, I'm just a I'm just a guy who's who's having fun. <laughs> I'm just a good dude, and it's like, nah, sure, but you're also a guy that's profiting off startups. You're also a dude who's trying to do like private venture capital Wall Street, right. basically, right? Where you have listings for hundreds of private companies, and uh, it satisfies the uh, the the volume you need to just to to make a run at it as a small time investor, exactly. I guess. One of the, one he's of the just earning commissions on it. Yep. Yeah. So that's and like he doesn't technically make any money from the Angel List website, which is what his current company is, but it's not even a company. It's just a social media networking site for startups to join and for people to find jobs in other startups and for investors to put money into startups that they don't know about because they're on this website. So it's like you just created Facebook for startups. That's all you're doing. So he's here. selling the information of either the investors or the the startup people yeah on, in on sly right mm-hmm. or something i think he's making a commission well so it, it's tough to say because he claims that he doesn't make any money from it but let's put it this way let's say there's you know because we'll get into angelist supposedly has a lot of bullsh- it's like UCD, bullshit startups man it. it's just like it's a community <laughs> <laughs> well let's put it this way steven let's say it's more that of a collective hey could you work for free <laughs> <laughs> Let's say that there's 10, we- 10 startups on this stupid website, right? And you know that one company is about to invest a whole bunch of money in one of the startups. So you put some money in there as well because you see the transactions are go- happening. Because his entire thing with AngelList is that it's a transparent model of what it could be for a social media network for startups, right? But that's not him making money from the website. Does that make sense? And And I think that... The entire appeal of him now is he's supposed to be like an altruistically good guy. And it's like, well, you think that you're that way because it, you went from this radioactive mud 
like <laughs> profile to trying to now be like the smartest guy in every room you're in. And so it's it's pretty blatant that what he's trying to do is make people believe that he's just a fun guy. And him and his brother have that bo- like fucking bullshit California, San Francisco accent that... I don't know. When I was growing up, we used to make fun of it, you know? Like, it used to be like, yeah, San Francisco, man. But now it seems like that accent permeates a lot of Silicon Valley and There's California. There's a whole SNL series of sketches just based on that accent. <laughs> really? Yeah, the California. Right, right, right. So these two brothers, the Kamal and Naval Ravikant, certainly have that type of voice. And it adds to their appeal because they're in the Silicon Valley nucleus. They're in the club, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. That, I mean, for AngelList, I mean, I, it's obvious the appeal of it since, like, I think the average failure rate for start for tech-oriented startups mm-hmm. is, like, 90%. Yeah, exactly. It's even higher than the national average for small businesses. And if you go and on... And so, like, if you're a VC, you you need to be willing to fail nine out of every 10 times almost. And if you, for the ones that do succeed, um, I've read before that the rate of return on those ones that do succeed needs to fund all of the remaining ventures that they they attempt. Interesting. Yeah. So like it just ends up being the case that there's a few extreme winners that sort of, you basically like found your house essentially in Silicon Valley on. And then from there you're allowed to fail based uh, enough times to win perhaps more and so like angel list if you have a list of uh, a listing of hundreds and hundreds of different startups and also the these uh i think they're called registered in- investor accredited sure. investors right, right. i think mm-hmm. uh which is like not even like it sounds official and all that but it's really just kind of a nebulous term for right, someone who's a really rich right. guy a really rich private investor uh it's just mashing those people together until something happens yeah exactly and all right, if you're not making money from the website itself, then I think that's bullshit. But I do too, yeah. Because there is, at the very least, there's an ad revenue to keep the lights on or something. Yeah, I mean, he has personal connections beyond that website that he's going to utilize in order to find the winners through that website offline. Right, right. In this Mercury News profile on him from 2013, he says that on AngelList, we get 100 new companies created a day. And uh, between 10 to 20 million are invested every month. And I think this is like the heyday of AngelList. Because if you look at some of the like AngelList reviews online, like not Glassdoor, but there's a handful of other things, they basically are like 80% of these startups are bullshit. 80, like most mm-hmm. of what is on this website is junk, which kind of makes sense that you would yeah. be like, I've got a startup and we're going to do this. And you're just trying to see if anyone would yeah. put money into you. Well, if it was 80%, that would still be an improvement. <laughs> yeah, that is technically true. And I think that that's really... At least from the standpoint of the, the investor. Right, 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 right. Um, bef- so, like, the need for something like AngelList is clear enough. Right. Yeah. yeah. That I mean, and so... It's from the VC perspective. Well, so, and the, there's a TechCrunch article that talks about VCs hating the AngelList concept, but then also being members of the website. Because... At the end of the day, even if they hate what it is, they still realize the potential <laughs> of a good idea being on there. So they have to; they still have to look at it, even if it's like, you know, we need a lackey to join the stupid social media website. It's still being, you know, fed up to the higher ups that can put in, you know, that hundred to 300, 500 million uh, that startups would need to really function for years to, in years to come. I just uh, went to the website and if you click on the investment tab, there's three sections. 
there's the deal by deal investments mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they, it says invest with proven angels. <laughs> so you invest alongside notable lead investors to access top deals, review each deal to build your own portfolio. And uh, it's a minimum of $1,000 and you select the deals by yourself and <laughs> accesses per lead. So then there's uh, the next level is the angel list access fund. Mm-hmm. And that's a diversification like an index fund. Oh. So you build a diverse diverse portfolio of startup investments on angel list, including private and oversubscribed deals. And the access is broad. The deal selection is done by angel list and you get 150 to 200 deals. And the minimum is uh, $100,000. <laughs> and then there's the professional investors which is uh, personal support and broad access. And you work with your own personal angel list representative uh, and access is per deal. You get 10 to 30 uh, deals per month and the minimum is half a million dollars a year, <laughs> which I just imagine someone being like, you know, I should get into startups. Oh, and they just like type in the, the URL. No, right, I, right. Oh uh, yeah, I can. I could, I could drop a, a half mil. <laughs> With someone who's just on the cusp of qualifying for a $500,000 mortgage, like a home mortgage, right, right. decides to try and do VC <laughs> instead. I they mean, just go in, like... They, they wake up the next dead, morning yeah, and they're like, to, that was the wrong <laughs> night to try angel <laughs> dust for the first like time. A, they like study really hard and, and then get accepted to Dartmouth, but they also don't get any assistance. <laughs> so they get like 500,000 worth of student loans. Right, right, right. And then so they have to do VC, but also satisfy the 7% <laughs> return to pay off the student loans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like... That'd be a great sto- American story, I feel. You know, and according to Naval, the, the way he looks at it is that if you're not investing in Silicon Valley tech, you know, you're losing out money for your future generations, man. Like, you just really aren't focusing on... That's the real, Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I think... You know, the, the, uh, ask, me, um, ask me why AngelList is a good idea and pretend to be Joe, Joe Rogan, Steven. So, um, why do you think AngelList is such a great idea? You know, when we named the company Angel List and made the logo a uh, peace single by the hands, we thought to ourselves, you know, to be a good company, you have to be good people. And what I made sure to do was hire people that I could smell were good because my nose <laughs> is just like stronger than most people's. You know, he, so like uh, one thing I really want to talk about is his. So he's got a brother. Um, would you mind looking up Andy uh, Kamal Ravikant on YouTube? I want to show. I want to play him talking about his vacation, so you guys can see how much of a fucking raging show this dude is. All right, so this is um, a video that his brother took, who I'm going to discuss after we play a little bit of him being in uh, Tikal on vacation, and he's talking about. Uh, the uh, fireflies that occur in the grass at night. Um, it uh, It's a video on YouTube titled Sense of Wonder, and uh, we'll play it on the show right now. But I want you guys to listen to this person and remind yourself that this is the brother of a guy who is a billionaire, and people believe both of these people are really smart, intelligent, and cool. That's where the Mayan ruins are, North Guatemala. So this is the... Um the area in front okay, of the really, I'm staying at. This is largely a okay. really damn pretty visual experience <laughs> where he's wearing. So, excuse me if I ramble. What I can best describe 
Well, I don't know if he's wearing night, it or if it's his actual hair, my but it looks like an Aeros- uh, white Aerosmith wig, if I could describe mm-hmm. it. And it looks like the Witcher 3 hair. It's all, it's all silver and long. comes alive. And it's fire. And he's, he's pointing and a camera at his face. Actually on the ground. And it's <laughs> bouncing and it's around. Stars just twinkling everywhere. It's like and the video the Joker amazing. films of himself. Yes. And, and yes. it's not like LED <laughs> As a warning, you know? On, off, on, off. You know, human light we, is we turn that off. sharp. It was beautiful. He <laughs> mentions Mayan ruins. Uh, there are no visible Mayan ruins no, in this no. video. Um, so th- this is his brother, and he, he's got an interesting story because he similarly had a company go under, but instead of suing and, and the whole thing that went down, he talks about he was really sick, and he never discusses what the sickness was, but he does self-claim that depression was a vacation compared to what I was dealing with, which is just such utter fucking bullshit. He said depression was a vacation? Right. That's how bad his sickness was, right? And so one day, Andy, you know what he decided to do? He decided to get up, and he decided to write down, I love myself, over and over and over again. And he really started to heal. And in a few weeks, he wasn't sick anymore. So he decided to write a book. And this book is called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. Because that's the self-help bullshit that the Rubicon brothers are peddling in Silicon Valley. And this book like became... Did he even try lithium? <laughs> this book apparently is like 68 pages long. And you know it's like probably a relatively okay self-help book i think the worst thing about them is they're usually too long <laughs> so 68 pages seems like a decent uh, midpoint to be like i think i'm done here but you know he talks about like oh i wrote this book and then now you know everything just started becoming better and it's like it's i want you all to know this that osho and uh jiddu siddharth are these two indian philosophers who talk about uh destroying the establishment and uh following more spiritual paths and uh naval the person we're profiling here reads a whole bunch and he talks about how those two people were influences for him and everything these two people are saying are just regurgitating those people that they've read in the past and the reason it's dangerous is because like our Ramdev Baba episode these are modern day gurus that are stealing your integrity and your ideas and presenting them as if they're just fun nice guys they're just a couple of California bros you know Listen, I'm, I'm hanging out on one of the websites of his brother, Kamal Navikant. He talks about, like, I'm, I I was in the army at one point. I did this. I was the only <laughs> non-black, non-female in a black female writer's group. <laughs> like, he, he talks about how he's proud. In the army? No, no, no. This is, this is just him playing, like, like uh, building up his reputation on this, like, website. Oh. Of, like, of the, why he's fucking, like, a righteous, cool dude. Black women t- tolerated me in this writers group so i think you guys should totally think i'm cool i thought, I thought he was trying to pitch like an army writers room like yeah you know we we decided to punch up the iraq war <laughs> no the army thing's interesting like, what, what what about a uh what about a sunni awakening i mean the army thing is interesting because it's re- literally written nowhere but then he does a uh, lie or he does a podcast interview type thing with a guy that is former um a Marine, and he mentions that he was in, in the army at one point. And um, listen, audience, I don't know how to expl- express this uh, without seeming like a shitty person. There was a Marine in the army? Never 
No, no, he was just saying that I was also I was in the oh, army okay. as well to a marine. Basically, this is the thing that these fuckers do, Andy. They 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 like if they were on this, they they were near us, they'd be like, oh wow, podcasting. You know, I really love podcasting as well. Like they have this fucking incestuous brain that makes them think that if I just relate to the person I'm next to, everyone in the room will like me a little bit more. Oh yeah, that's that's a totally American thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You realize where it's like you talk to someone like they're a good friend. Yep. And you're interested in everything they're saying. You know, it's completely superficial. Um, and but but people on YouTube are eating this fucking shit up, man. I mean, like oh, yeah, you be- look at the comments for both of these people, and people are like, "This is the smartest person on the planet." I mean, it's it's uh, if if you're planning to manipulate people, it's a great manipulation exactly. tool. Exactly. And uh, the fi- the five things that uh, Naval talks about are important, and it's so fucking funny because they're so stupidly basic. But it's literally like you got to learn how to write. You got to learn how to do math. You got to learn how to code. You got to learn how to persuade people. And you got to learn how to just chill out. Like, that's literally his advice. And it's like, okay, you know, learning to chill out, learning uh, meditation, reading books by people that are, are more smart than you are uh, and can say sentences correctly, that's a that's a perfectly fine thing. But to champion these people as if they're some fucking, you know, God sent to humanity is just fucking sick. I mean, you know, we I don't think we've done an episode on Uber yet, but I think it's the secret's out. They're a fucking terrible company to employees and the world itself. Wait, what? Yeah, Andy. <laughs> This German naming company <laughs> is actually bad for society. <laughs> that's that's my beef with the, the fact that well, they named. Did you did you see that their their stocks uh um their stocks are crashing? Oh really? Yeah, they're losing like some crazy amount of money. It's over a billion dollars in the last quarter. Yeah, they lose money every ride. Oh yeah, pretty much every ride. Well, now it's like I think it's coming to a head. You know, with the oncoming recession, they um, the bottom's starting to fall out uh, from under Uber. It's not going to be as exciting as. Uh, the bottom falling out from under GE, but right, uh, right, which is, I can I just say because it segue into Uber after this. Yeah, the 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 GE thing is is delightful because I one hundred percent trust the guy who's going on all the financial things talking about how GE is a big fraud, just based purely on how autistic he is. <laughs> they're like, they're like, what? So what makes you think? Uh, why why did you decide to uh, look into GE? Well, they came to Boston. I don't want a company like that to come to Boston. They're disrespecting Boston, so I don't take them down. I got, I, I got to look, so I looked into their financials, and they're, they're doing bad things to Boston. He's a forensic accountant. You have to be, like... That way. You have to be that, yeah, no. that persuasion. Sure. In I order to do yeah. this work. One, thing, one last thing I want to mention about Kamal real quick, the brother who wrote that book. The cover of his book that was published to Amazon, and not I don't know if there's actual physical copies. There might be now. Uh, it's literally a guy with a gun pointed to his head as a silhouette. And in some of the reviews for the books, people that are trying to get people to not kill themselves are like, hey, maybe don't show a person almost killing themselves on a book that's a self-help book because I'm trying to show people <laughs> that want to kill themselves this book. And it's not really working out for me in the long run, you know. I'm not saying that uh, if you have a book on... What's um, the thought process where he's like, yeah, people will see it and be like, oh, that's me. I Kind with the, of, with yeah. The pu- putting the gun in my head. That- <laughs> right, right. And like, you know... You're the- probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things happened for me to get here, but at the end of the day, I chose to love myself like my life depended on it. I mean, it's so such his, fucking... His book wasn't him writing I love you over and over again? No, no, no. His His book, I think, talks about that. I didn't read it. I watch so many Rovicon podcasts. You, I watch the Spartan <laughs> Up podcast. I watch the Joe Rogan podcast. I watched. I watched so many of this guy talk. And honestly, 
I thought like maybe there'll be some wisdom in this and then within a few minutes I I, I believe that my brain shrunk in size. Um no. Um Yeah, it seems like the way he did it was he just kind of got connected with the Silicon Valley I, uh, right. for lack of a better word Illuminati. Yeah. Like wh- one thing that I've discovered from doing this podcast is in every Silicon Valley success story there's the story that they present to everyone that was like we had a brilliant idea and we just saw it through. And then the secondary story is someone like Peter Thiel makes an appearance uh, like, you know, early on and gives them a bunch of money. And it's like he it sounds like this guy kind of was a lower budget Peter Thiel type. Yes. And put himself in that position where he just kind of became one of those members. Well, and not only did he do the Silicon Valley stuff, but he also changed some laws because he was a part of the job. Yeah, he wrote uh, this this letter to the SEC that were trying to pass a bill called the Jobs Act that allowed some of this stuff to happen. Stephen, you got more information on this? Well, actually, the Jobs... So the Jobs Act was called the Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act of 2012, signed into law by obama oh thanks obama <laughs> hey you guys remember when we had uh, steve jobs with bob hope and <laughs> jeffrey epstein now we have no jobs no hope and <laughs> no jeffrey epstein <laughs> <laughs> it was what one of the things this this bill is in the process of doing is allowing for uh more white more widely spread more equity people equity crowdfunding right and so, I mean, most crowdfunding takes place of donations mm-hmm. or, um, but it you know, you up. get, you get like specific benefits yes. the more you, you know, it's not a security you're trading or something. Right, right. So with this, you're taking, like, you're allowing people, individual investors of uh, whatever experience or size to take a stake in a company. Right. And almost as if it was an IPO. So yeah. there's a lot of dangers in that, right? Yep. Well, um... Naval, oh, Naval was Naval was trying to um, ensure he was he was lobbying Congress a lot in 2011 and 12 in order to make this as the most unregulated version of itself right. that it could be, to where you would have almost like no oversight over um, like what kind of disclosures these potential investors would see. It's like usually, usually when there's an investment product being marketed somewhere. They have a long list of disclosures saying like, oh, like this is ri- this is What's risky. This could lose value. Right. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Don't put a lot of money in this if you aren't willing to lose that money and so forth. And so, with private investors, uh, they do have they there are some regulations on what private investors with lots of money still have to see. Mm-hmm. But I mean. Largely, they already know what's going to happen. They, I mean, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Right. Like nine VCs, nine VC opportunities are going to fail for everyone, and you just hope that one of them explodes, basically. Right. Uh, I mean, with your average investor, this really puts them at risk. So there are a bunch of disclosure requirements that were going to be baked into this law. Um, they kind of kicked the can and said, okay, with this law, we're going to allow the SEC to set the rules later. Okay. And so he wrote a letter to the SEC urging them not to make these disclosure requirements and right. other, other protections as strenuous as they would like to. Okay, but for half a million dollars per year, you get your own personal angel list <laughs> representative. Uh, 
<laughs> for family offices, institutions, and active investors. Your guardian angel? Yeah. <laughs> you know that the professional investors tier is to drive people to the uh, middle level tier. That's a, it's the same it's the same reason that whenever you see a um, a company put out a new line of say flat screen TVs, there's always three levels. Right. right. There's the uh, there's the top level, there's the shitty level, and there's the mid level. And the reason that uh, the top level and the shitty level exist is then people will be more likely to buy the mid level than they would be to buy the bottom level. Right. I mean, because he did these things, it opened the doors for his angelist company to do what they do now. And so yeah. he literally was lobbying for, Hey, I got this idea I want to do uh, yeah. next year. Uh, could, could y'all make it happen? And you can see why, I mean, you can see why he would want there to be less stringent disclosure requirements simply because more people would have listings on his website. Right. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that his argument for doing this is that, like, oh, it makes it more transparent and allows people who aren't, uh, you know, venture capitalists to invest in these companies. And it's like, you're just saying I can now make more money from people that aren't already well off and take it from a different tier of humanity that hasn't been allowed to invest in this originally. But, you know, startups are risky. They, they fold all the time. Um, and the fact that they're on a website called Angel List doesn't necessarily change that. I will say that my employer is on this website, and I'm kind of tempted to just put in. I guess it wouldn't work at all, but there's there's that fantasy where it's like I'm gonna drop a thousand dollars and <laughs> just fantasy. kick in the door of the board meeting. <laughs> Andy Palmer here. <laughs> I would like one raise, please. <laughs> and I'm like, damn it! I wish, I wish we had stronger barriers than paid a thousand dollars online. <laughs> how much money do you think you'd have to spend for me to get you a raise? Like, how much money do we have to raise on Patreon to reinvest in the company probably, you work for? Probably one hundred times whatever the raise is, just to get started. Yeah, that's yeah, probably fair. Probably. All right, well, Patreon <laughs> listeners, I mean, get on it if you want Andy to get a raise. Um. One thing I yeah, want I just want to buy out the company and make myself the CEO. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to play on the show is that you know you want to learn the type of people that are looking up to these venture capitalists. Um, there's this company from I think they're from Stanford, and they made a rap video appealing to Naval's uh, sensitive artistic side. And oh I, God, I've, and I've I, seen these people. And, before. I, and I want I want I want our listeners to hear the creative geniuses that look up to Naval Ravikant. These guys also did a tunak tunak tun heavy metal. Ravi Khan, you met Naval, a startup boy. Yeah, you know how to ball. Found an angel list, tops the angel list. Be nice with advice and investments. It's divesting a lot. We know where you're coming from. It's There's a Princeton blood. flag no in the background. Snacking oh, right. on snacks up adventure hacks. Giving tips to young stunners. Yo, you got their backs. A player in the game, you've had much success. Opinions and backs, nothing but respect. Okay. No, we gotta play the whole thing, Andy. Come on. Okay. Our listeners demand it. Invested in Twitter and also discussed you Uber Zarly about your business. Saw you on court talking restaurants. You a boss, always bossing about rock. This only has 330 views. By playing this, we are going to understand you're a man that's in high demand. But if you got one minute for the undrip plan, you are cordially invited to our place in San Fran so we can run you through the details of a master plan. Right next to the guy rapping, oh. there's a guy with headphones. Just, just, just being a hype pointing. man. Yeah, yeah, being a hype yeah. man. 
Though, not a good hype man, by the way. Literally dancing as if he's been paid from the street. Oh, this is from 2011. They kept this up for way too long. Oh, yeah. 330 views in yeah. in eight years. But oh, no, that these is... aren't the guys that did Tunac Tunac. No, no, no. I think these I think these are a much smaller outfit than They those just guys. have a similar looking apartment. <laughs> um, there's one more drop on Joe Rogan about him talking about income inequality. By all means, be a socialist with my aunts, with my brother, with my cousins, with my uncles, with my mom, with yes. my family. I'm a socialist. That's the right way to live a loving, happy, integrated life. Yes. But when you're dealing with strangers, I mean, you want to be a real socialist? Great. Open all your doors and windows tomorrow. Please, yeah. everybody, come take what you want. <laughs> See how that works out. Yeah. Um, this idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very... It's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. Yeah. And the outcome inequality is there because you made different choices. Now, again, going back, if it- <laughs> this is the fucking chameleon that Naval Ravikant is. He'll literally oh say, God. "With my family, I'm a socialist." But I mean, I can't be that with strangers. It's like, well, I love you, how he's like, "Open up your doors and windows and see how that works out." And it's like, it's gonna work out yep. a lot better for me when you're opening up your doors and windows. But yep. like, notorious socialist policy always advocated <laughs> no, no no personal safety or security at all. Yep. I mean, like that whole outcome inequality thing. It's like, okay, that that was some grade A bullshit. Right, right. <laughs> like, I get how conceptually that you think that works, but that's not taking account into reality. Like this, this thing. No, called, not even, that doesn't even work conceptually. It's just wordplay. Right, right. But I, I, he's trying to. I mean, what what he's trying to say, I think, is that you know, it's he. It, it's just a creative way of saying that poor people are lazy. Yeah, exactly. And so this is the reason why these people are so dangerous, because like the spiritual gurus from India that are, uh, you know, fucking over millions of people there, these people do this thing where it's like, wow, what a smart, like intelligent person. It's like they're just peddling bullshit. They're snake oil salesmen. They're literally telling you that you're too dumb and not motivated enough to make your life better. When the reality is, is that people like this person have fucked us. And they are smiling about it because why not? Oh, he married a woman named Crystal Cho in like 2013. Um, she has like zero online imprint. She's got a Twitter account, Miss, like in the first few letters of uh, Naval's last name. But there's not much else I could find about her. But like they're, even their Twitter accounts are just riddled with fucking like, you know, like just inspirational quotes and like you know it's this whole instagram fucking generation where if something looks and sounds like it could be smart and pretty it probably is and it's like no you you're just not looking at the true source you're fucking drinking water with piss in it and you're thinking this is pretty good because i've never had water before like that's literally how i feel about this guy i'm gonna say he is a uh total kshatrius what? I don't know. I'm trying to guess his cast. <laughs> All right. Let's well. play guess the cast. Uh, Steven, what do you think he is? <laughs> I think he's probably Brahmin. There's no way he would have had enough money, money to fly back to India at that, not, at that not, age. Yeah. Um, whatever the third highest one was. Like warrior some, cast? Warrior? Yeah. I always thought warrior. I, I don't, maybe. Maybe, maybe he's a, a vicious. It Aren't there statistics about which former cast is most likely to immigrate to the U.S. in verse, like different times of... There could, yeah, there. I bet those those statistics exist. I mean, the, here's the thing: the fact that we don't know what part of India this guy's from, and the amount of information we do know, it's being hidden for some reason. Mm. Like, there's no reason for 
the amount of information that's out about the Ravikant brothers for there not to be more information on their mom. Do you think he killed Gandhi? (laughs) I think he killed Ben Kingsley's career. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, listen, we have a generation of people that have no sense of community and they're looking towards online media to satiate their fucking need for feeling like they belong. And people like this Ravikant guy is, is a perfect example of a guy that's like, look at me, I worked hard and made it. And in some ways, he, he definitely worked hard, but in a lot of ways it's like, yeah, but this, this rhetoric that you're peddling is not how you became who you are. You got to where you are by being in the right place at the right time, but that doesn't mean that your outcome inequality <laughs> was somehow better than someone else's. And the fact that your brother wrote a, such a shitty book and you champion it makes me so mad. Like, rightfully as brothers, you should call out bullshit like that. And that dude sucks. I watched him speak 20 minutes. And, oh, man, it's so much fucking... Man, that guy, Kamal Ravikant, count the times he says that the person he's standing next to is so humble. Every fucking interview, oh, man, they're being really humble. They really are really cool. And you see the other person kind of blush. And every- man, it's just his, it's his weird brother. He yeah. didn't, didn't accomplish anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, there's, like, one article that says uh, his brother stood by him during that lawsuit period. But, uh, you know... Physically. Yeah, right, 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 right. Pre him getting sick. And I know it's um, it seems very small to to look at this guy because he's he's mostly a Silicon Valley dude. But AngelList is opening up branches in India and around the world. So mm-hmm. this this issue of Ravikant making this money from this corrupt practice and how he's fucking doing it, it's an international issue about to happen. Uh, I mean, depending on how the SEC decides to roll out those rules from the Jobs Act, right? It could end up being. I mean. Our experience with Angel is so far could just be like the tip of the iceberg yep. in terms of like uh, just adding, opening up another avenue to mm-hmm. fuck over normal people who want to get in on the, the equity game in VC. Exactly. But with half a million dollars, you get your own personal <laughs> AngelList representative. And, you know, for $1,000, you do get to, you may select your own deals, but, you know, you get to invest alongside notable lead investors to access top deals. What do you get for $50? Uh, you get to go to the website. <laughs> <laughs> you get an angel. They'll just say hi once or something. <laughs> They'll acknowledge you at a party. Let's see. I'm clicking on the join the professional investor program, the half million dollar one. Should I put my info in here? and No, see what they, okay. we shouldn't give them more of our time. This oh. was already too much. I watched three hours of this person talking. His, like, he had a viral tweet that, like, was him tweeting about how to love himself, essentially. This I can is log in with Facebook to, to invest $100,000 on AngelList. <laughs> if you, like, look at his viral, viral tweet, it's his pinned tweet. It's, like, got, like, 79,000. Should we list Grubstakers at LLC? On AngelList. Oh, I think we should. I think we should put Grub Stickers <laughs> on LLC. You get connected to private investors think, and get, um, I don't even know, gold gold rimmed yeah. uh, microphones. microphones. <laughs> oh, shit. I want gold dipped everything. I think that's the Grub Stickers way. I think that. Uh, Is that code for um, drugs? I mean, it's a code for whatever you want it to be. Because if we if we get angel investment money, I know where my <laughs> shares go. <laughs> angel dust investment. If we get an angel investor, I think we should all get grub stickers tattoos on our butts. <laughs> uh, 
And with that, this has been Grub Stickers. I'm Yogi Polywell. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. Thank you for joining us. We'll have another episode out on our Patreon side. Uh, thank you very much for supporting us and uh, listening to our show. All of your comments and criticisms are warranted. And honestly, have a wonderful day or go fuck yourself. I love you. <laughs>